0: In preparation for the sermon, we have this passage from Luke 3, verses 1 to 22. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Ituria and Traconis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, During the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him what then should we do and in reply he said to them whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none and whoever has food must do likewise even tax gatherers came to be baptized and they asked him teacher what should we do and he said to them collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah. John answered them all by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news for the people. But Herod, the ruler who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them by shutting up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. A question for you to ponder,
1: which we will come back to in uh, a few minutes. Who, in your opinion, are the annoyingly simplistic prophets of our time? So kind of whose voice or message drives you to distraction because it fails to take sufficient account of nuance and complexity? So who has you you shouting at your TV or your radio? As I said, we'll come back to this. Our reading for this morning... Is often headed the baptism of Jesus in in our Bibles, but actually, of course, the baptism in question only occurs right at the end, in the last couple of verses. With all of the rest of the chapter up until this point being all about John the Baptist's ministry and death. We've skipped a couple of decades from last week's reading um, about Jesus in the temple, talking theology with the doctors as a teenager. And we're 30 years on from Simeon and Anna welcoming the infant Jesus to the temple where we were a couple of weeks ago. So today we rejoin Jesus and John as adults and we find John in full on Old Testament prophet mode. It's not immediately clear how John's proclamation of repentance and Jesus' baptism relate to each other except that Jesus, for some reason, comes for baptism by John. So we'll hold that tension for a few minutes as well and come back to that. So let's start with John and his fire and brimstone message of judgment and repentance that was drawing the crowds to him in the wilderness. John was calling people to repentance because he said they were living under judgment. And in order for us to hear this right in our world, I think we need to decouple it from our pre-programmed tendency to hear any language of judgment and repentance as being primarily about personal and private sin. The judgment that John proclaimed was far bigger than any one individual and repentance from it was far more wide ranging than the seeking of personal forgiveness for individual misdemeanor. Rather, John was telling people that their society itself was under judgment, that something was profoundly out of joint with the world, which was causing oppression and injustice. And he told them in no uncertain terms that the time had come for this to change. His message sounds more like an ideological revolution than a call to improved subjective ethical improvement. This isn't a simple be nice from John. He has more in common with Che Guevara or Leon Trotsky than he does with the purity preachers of the evangelical revival. John's condemnation, you see, was of the status quo. And the sin that he identified was the sin of business as usual. Society, he said, is broken. And now it's time for a change. And so he called people to repent, to turn away from their complicity in systems that perpetuate oppression, and to turn towards a different way of living where poverty is challenged and where people are released from tyranny. So I wonder how we can hear John's call for repentance and his judgment on society. Particularly, of course, how can we hear it this week when we have witnessed the storming of the United States Congress building by a rioting mob as the latest outworking of a proclaimed message of hatred and division? So much of the division in our world, from Washington this week to, well, London maybe, stems from assumptions we make about privilege. Identity politics drives people to hatred and violence by diminishing our sense of common humanity and building in its place a sense of aggrieved threat. From white privilege to gender privilege to religious privilege to straight privilege to socioeconomic privilege, a failure to recognize or acknowledge one's own privilege inevitably creates and perpetuates a power imbalance that then will lead to oppression. And this is nothing new. John's message cuts right to the heart of this issue and if we're to hear John's proclamation in our world then we with his first hearers will have to internalize a message that has the capacity to make us profoundly uncomfortable and that message is this whatever privilege we have whatever privilege you have whatever privilege I have and some of us have a lot is never ours by right it is simply the benefits that end up being ours because we fit into a specific social group or because we have certain dimensions to our identity and the message of john to the children of abraham who came to him for baptism of repentance was that their privileged status as god's children was not something they could take for granted any longer They said, we are the children of Abraham. And John said, God wants children of Abraham. He'll raise them up out of the stones. They had to realize rather, that their place at God's table was not dependent on who their ancestors were, but on the fruit of justice and righteousness in their lives. And this isn't rocket science now, and it wasn't rocket science back then. As a response to the crowd's anxious and despairing question of what then should they do in the face of his condemnation of their addiction to business as usual, the answer John gave was in nerve, unnervingly simplistic. Share your surplus with those who don't have enough. Don't line your own pockets from the public purse. Don't extort money by threat or deception. All of which has a disconcertingly contemporary ring to it, doesn't it? You know, I'm thinking of the challenge last year of Black Lives Matter. And the the kind of the hand, the the anguished hand-wringing on the part of many of those of us who have inherited white privilege. What then should we do? Well, it's not rocket science. I think John would say to us what he said in the first century in the wilderness. Stop taking your privilege for granted and then do something. Share with those who don't have. Stop lining your own pockets on the basis of who you are, the job you have. Don't extort money by threat or deception. Simple though it may sound, as all the best ideas often do, This condemnation of entitlement, selfishness, avarice and extortion is as revolutionary today as it was in the first century because it challenges the human tendency to always want to look after number one and kind of forget about the rest. It's a call to a different way of living where enough is genuinely enough, and where the humanity of the other is respected and nurtured. It's a call to the politics and the economics of the common good. The three groups who ask John what they should do are the the, the ordinary person who is told to share their cloak, but then we've got the tax collector who's told to stop lining his profit pockets, and we've got the soldier who's told to stop extorting It's the ordinary people. It's money. It's military power. In all of this, there is a call to the politics and economics of the common good. And this is what we need to see then in the story of John's baptism of Jesus. People sometimes ask, you know, why did Jesus need, who who was sinless, why did Jesus who was sinless need to be baptised by John? It's not as though he had some deep personal sins that needed forgiving. Well, Jesus came for baptism to align himself with John's call to turn away from a society hell-bent on entrenching privilege and to turn towards a way of living that is good news, verse 18, for all flesh, verse 6. But then, as with everything Jesus done, does, he then kind of subverts people's expectations of him. John's judgment language has been strong. He's called people a brood of vipers as he has exposed their hypocrisy. And he's warned them that their lives of unfruitful living will be thrown in the fire of God's judgment. You might have thought on the back of that message that Jesus coming for baptism by John was him aligning himself with a revolution of fire, a burning away of the old order as a precursor to the forcible establishment of the new. But as Jesus is baptised, a new epiphany is given, a new revelation is given, and The winnowing fire of God's spirit is revealed in the form of a dove descending on Jesus at his baptism as a precursor to the flames of the same spirit that will descend on Jesus disciples at Pentecost later in Luke's story. The revelation of God is not seen as a Roman eagle poised with talons bared to shred all those who fail to capitulate to the new order. This isn't the overthrow of one violent empire by another. God's judgment is in the end not meted out on people for non-compliance with the new regime. Rather, the burning fire of God's spirit is experienced as a dove of peace, gentle and loving. And each of us who follows Jesus through baptism are aligning ourselves with this alternative revelation of God, as the chaff in our lives is burned away and we are purified, forgiven and prepared for the task of living God's kingdom into being in our world. Too often, you see, preachers of judgment stand ready to call out the sins of others and to preach against other people's faults. But John calls people to turn from such practices of condemnation and division and to discover instead that the path to revolution lies in the choices that we each of us make. As we turn away from business as usual to embrace ways of living that bear the fruit of generosity and love and acknowledging our privilege turn towards those who would otherwise be distanced from us giving up that which we have inherited, so that they too can share in God's blessing. So to return to the question with which I started, who are the annoyingly simplistic prophets of our time? Are they perhaps the unambiguous prophets of the climate emergency, Greta Thunberg or Extinction Rebellion? Do you find yourself saying as they stand there saying, Something must change. Yes, but you've got to get to grips with the nuances of the global economy and blah, blah, blah. Are they the prophets of Black Lives Matter? Making many of us feel profoundly uncomfortable in our own skin. Are they the prophets of the Me Too movement? Highlighting for half of us what it means to be a man Sometimes these binary calls to justice, to repentance, to the acknowledgement of privilege and responsibility can be hard to hear. But that doesn't mean they aren't right. I suspect that in all of these and more, we can hear echoes of John's simplistic proclamation in the wilderness that people should stop exploiting their privilege and instead should live and work to bring to bear in the world the fruit of justice and righteousness and equality. And as we consider the baptism of Jesus at the hands of John, we might want to think back to our own baptismal moment and to consider what it means for us to have embraced baptism, And for us to continue embracing the social implications of our baptismal vows, moving beyond reassuring narratives of personal salvation to a life lived in dedication to God and to others. And if you've not yet been baptised and you are challenged today to explore this in obedience to Jesus' example, please do speak to me about this. I haven't yet worked out how to do an online baptism, but I have hope that we will be in a position to gather again around our baptismal pool before too many months have passed. For all of us, I wonder if we can hear John's call to repentance, the call to turn away from business as usual, the call to turn away from our inherited privilege, the call to turn towards the inbreaking kingdom of God.
2: I'd like to invite the panelists to turn on their video and unmute themselves. Um, so, I guess, first of all, my first question for you is um, Simon saying mentioned a world where enough is truly enough, but how do we discern what is enough for us? And how do we practically live out that call to obedience or when we are baptised, saying that we want to be obedient to that kind of life, how do we practically live that out?
0: Sometimes, if, if you accept the things that you are looking after as stewardship from, from God in some anticipation of, of how you see God, but you don't grasp them and um, defend them as if they are property. I think that thing about, i posted about uh, property is actually important. You have, one of the things that came up during the sermon was, I thought, when Simon's talking about privilege, I thought this has parallels with the ideas of property. And if you defend your privilege your privilege of being white or Western or anything else, then you are being um, possessive about that privilege. If you attempt to use your privilege because you have a voice and you use it to promote or question where uh, society is, and say, okay, it needs to change, which is John's message. So we do need to change. The, all the interesting parts of that is, what do we need to change to? God is never on the side of the status quo. Well, I think
3: there's a there's a profound challenge there, which is that, you know, how do we repent? And what are we repenting from? Are we repenting as individuals from a pattern of thinking and behavior? Or are we repenting as a community or as a, as a wider society? Um, and they're interlinked, of course, because you know, if, we're, if we're trying to have some sort of major social reform or tackle climate change, but yet in our own individual behavior, we're not being mindful about recycling <laughs> or something. You know we're open to charges of hypocrisy. I think for me, speaking personally, I find self-reflection and discussion go together actually in envisaging change. So you know it's it's through things like coming to church and other organizations and being on committees and sharing ideas that you know I I develop a greater awareness of Social issues and you know perhaps personal issues too, but also I need to take time quietly by myself in prayer and journaling and meditation and so on to think about what changes I could make to my own patterns of thought and behavior. To me, it seems as as, as though they're interlinked.
2: Thank you for that, and thank you, Jeff. Um... So, I guess another thing I was thinking about during this was someone mentioned um simplistic prophets of our day, and sometimes i and I personally don't think that there are actually that many people who are that simplistic, but it's just the way that things are repackaged along the way, like. Greta Thunberg was mentioned, and she can do an hour long interview where she explains the nuance in her position and all that gets reported around the world is a headline or something she tweets. Um, So I guess my question for you is, we may say we like nuance, but how do we go about ensuring that we don't fall into those pitfalls? Um, Is there anything you do to try to engage in debates with a bit more
0: nuance. I think the issue really is we can have a vision of where we want to get to, which may not agree with everybody else's vision of where we want to get to, but all the nuance comes in when you are trying to work out how you are going to get to where you see your vision to be. And that's where all the politics comes in and all the, because You can talk about an individual making contributions and making his own decisions for himself or herself, but at some point we have to uh, start imposing on society that this is the vision for the whole of the society and you are expected to work towards it. That's what's happening with the coronavirus uh, restrictions that we have at the moment is it sort of says, do you impose on society a set of rules that says you must do this otherwise we're all in trouble and uh, and there is a fight back against that and there is some some rights in that, that fight back but the discussion has to be had
4: mm-hmm. yeah that, that, that's a good point jeff uh, i was just thinking about because there's two things that that, that struck me i like to make a, a, a distinction about it um the symbolizing of, of baptism uh, that practice of sprinkling and immersion that, that symbolizing and the message of, of, of baptism that um, what, what uh, John was trying to explain that the repentance aspect, in my view, uh, um, um, I think that we as Christians will, will need to enforce uh, uh, that message of, of baptism and, and, and repentance. And um, the example that Simon was given about privileges—you know—and people should have conscience that, that you know, a, a privilege is is not enjoyable. It's not something that you enjoy unless it can be shared with other people and, for example, in the COVID situation, you know, people try to enforce a message to say, well, you have to stay at home, otherwise you will be infected. And then comes the question is how much is that message being enforced and people, and we, we stay in a home, but then you still have um, uh, a terrible results. So how much as Christians or, or, or people, citizens of the world can enforce a message? on ourselves in, in, in different aspects uh, 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 that relates to each other in terms of climate change in terms of poverty uh, uh, the rich against poor I mean uh, a lot of other things so the uh, enforcement of the message I think uh, we should work on those more than than other symbolism even though they are that they they're related
2: Thank you Liz looked pensive (laughs) yeah
5: um I mean I agree with so much as what have been said I absolutely love something that Jess said earlier um in answer to one of your questions you give yourself and your energy through the education of others and I think um that we know that a prophet like John came and he did rattle many people's cages and he he it was uncomfortable um, but he also tried to educate in a way and I think that um, although that might have been when people are asking questions well how do we and they might seem simplistic what is sim- simplistic for one person is not simplistic for another and I think that I think that The education and learning from other people and learning about ourselves and where our privilege and prejudice is, but also learning about other people from other people that we wouldn't normally listen to and that we wouldn't normally give airtime to. Um, is actually be, being willing to like see the prophets in those places where we're not comfortable that they might be prophets. You know, it's all very well us picking a prophet that looks a bit like us that is just saying something vaguely challenging, but actually being willing to listen to people who really make us uncomfortable is really important. The other thing that kept striking me the whole time through this conversation is that actually, ironically, John had a bit of a uh, people were flocking to John because of what he was saying and he almost had a bit of a personality cult going on. Uh, he didn't mean to, but people were wanting to go to him to hear what he was saying because, hey, he was a bit radical. Uh, it's my understanding. I mean, anyone who's seen Life of Brian, um, there, there is some truth in that kind of depiction, actually, where, you know, at that time, there were a lot of people touting that they were the Messiah and there were a lot of prophets and there were a lot of... Uh, and. I think that, um, unfortunately, in that kind of model, we end up um, almost, although we are challenged by John, we also end up kind of liking the idea of, of keeping our, the prophets that we know and love in a little box that means that they are prophets. So I can think of people I think are prophetic. For me, someone like Martin Joseph, who is a singer-songwriter, who says a lot of really, really powerful stuff is prophetic and has been since I was a child. But then some other people who may be prophetic, some other people may be in the Black Lives Matter campaign or Extinction Rebellion. Sometimes maybe that challenge doesn't hit me quite as much because that, that it's almost too challenging. Um, but I, I do think that that both the good news and the challenge is that we are on a journey. I think I've said this before, we're on a journey and we're always called to look for the new profits. And we're never called to kind of like stay static. And I agree totally with what um, Jeff said on that one. And I think that it, using Simon's term, I don't think it's ever business as usual. I think that we've always got to be looking for where people are being um, discriminated against and where um, where we need to challenge our own privilege. And, and, and we need to constantly be re-educating ourselves.
2: Thank you. Um, Yeah, I'd just like to read some um, comments from the chat. Um, Veronica said, we need the simple black and white message to prevent us ignoring the issues entirely. Um, Yeah, and I do think that's right. I just, my personal feeling is I wish that weren't the case. And sometimes maybe, like, while I agree with you, my way of wanting to change that is by trying to, reject the black and white messages. I don't know if that makes sense. So Veronica also said one of the best ways of achieving economic simplicity is fostering community so that property and skills are shared. And also our problem as Christians as Simon pointed out towards the end of his sermon is that we have swallowed the individualism of society in general and made salvation individualistic. Salvation is corporate and baptism is baptism into a community. So Amy said um, and I find this interesting. I find it very hard to read these passages in a non-personal way due to my perfectionist personality and evangelical church background. I always feel moved to give money or give up things out of guilt and terror of punishment rather than self-awareness. This, however, doesn't actually lead to any long-term change and makes you more afraid of sincere self-reflection, as any fault is intolerable and it is tied up with judgment. I'm sure this will change with time, but it's hard to escape the sign of thinking when you've had it embedded into you by even culture and other influences. Um, Oh, and then Veronica also said before we enforce anything, we need to have a sense of community and therefore a sense of responsibility to the community. Yeah, um, like the baptism into a community, I believe, you know, it is encouraged that when you are baptized, you also enter into membership of the church you are baptized in. Um, And Tim and Dermot, I don't know which person, it was said, I consider Marcus Rashford to be a contemporary f- prophetic voice. I'd now like to ask Solomon to bring our prayers of intercession.
4: Thank you, Susan. Um, I've, appropriated, I've appropriated the 23rd sign for this time. Uh, I think it is suitable. let us pray. Father God, you are our shepherd when we did not want. We as sheep have gone astray and you have called us back to calm. You have guarded us in times of trouble and we trust you will do the same again. You have made us to lie down in green pastures and gather us beside state waters to recognize your beauty that surrounds us yet lonely and desolate. You are the comforter, O oh Lord. We invite your presence, O oh God, in times when there are no answers. We pray, O God, that in these times, we will continue to trust you. You have restored our souls. We will remain faithful as you have restored our souls, and that you will lead us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake, O God. That we will not turn to any other path but your path, and continue to strive for righteousness, for your name's sake, and to continue to worship you, to honor you, to praise you, and that your name be glorified in all circumstances, O God. Glory be your name. Though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for thou art with us. In sickness we will trust you, in pain we will trust you. In sorrows we will trust you. Heavenly Father, in COVID, we will trust you. In uncertainty, we will trust you. Political unheaval, we will trust you. Let your will be done. As with thy rod and thy staff, we will be comforted. Thou prepareth a table before us in the presence of all issues for climate change, migration, hate, effects of Trump, societal ills, divisions, bar relationship, violence, disease, war, family fuels, political ideology, and all, cause thou have anointed our head with oil. Our cup runneth over, but peace will be still. You have commanded that peace will be still. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen and amen.
2: And now I'd just like to say a prayer in the service. Um, dear lord thank you for our time together today thank you that we are in a position that we have this time to spend together we pray that we would go from today having been changed in at least some small way and we would remember this time throughout our week. We would be encouraged to spend time with you throughout our week ahead. Whether that be in silence or spoken prayer out loud or music or any other form of worship. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and evermore. Amen.